Well, hello, beloved. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is to you, and welcome. And so we're continuing reading in the scriptures, and today we are reading in 1 Kings 18 through 20. And I want to uh, speak on a few passages, a few portions of this. Um, now, I will encourage you, I just uh, recently, a short time ago, did a live, audio, uh, live video message from 1 Kings chapter 18 um, that the Lord was prompting me in my heart. So I'm going to repeat a little bit of that here, uh, but I encourage you to watch that uh, live video and get more from that. In chapter 18, it's been three years of famine now, and it's been very severe in Samaria. And that's where Ahab's capital was. And so God sends Elijah back because it's been three years. It's time for him to be sending rain again. But notice that there's some requirements before God's going to bless them with rain again. So Elijah's heading back. We also meet up with this man named Obadiah. It's not the prophet Obadiah from the the um, the writings, the writing prophets. This is another man, but he is a man of God, served King Ahab, and he had... When Jezebel was hiding, I mean, was killing a bunch of prophets of God, he took a hundred of them and spared them and hid them in caves. Um, so notice how Obadiah reveals that Elijah had been a hunted man for these three years in something that he says. He talks about how King Ahab, he says, he's hunted you all over the earth. He's been trying to find you. Um, so we see how God previously had protected Elijah, even though Ahab had been hunting him down, God had protected him. Remember, he had him by the brook and the ravens fed him. And then the brook dried up and he sent him to Zarephath. And he was there with the widow and her son. And he, uh, she had built a, given him an upper room to live in. And so he stayed there. And now God's sending him back because now it's time for a showdown. It's time for a challenge to be because God wants to prove himself before the eyes of all Israel that he and he alone is God. So this is going to be God versus the false idols of Baal and Ashtoreth. This is God versus 850 prophets of these false gods. So in verse 21 through 24, I want to go back to that um, scripture right now in verse uh, in chapter 18. Verses 21 through 24, the duel begins, and it starts up in the morning. And um, so let's read a little bit about that here. Uh, so Elijah calls them all to Mount Carmel, and Ahab brings everybody up there. And then it says in verse 21, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. And then he goes on and he sets up this, uh, this whole duel. And God is, God is setting this up. And I want you to see in a moment the purpose of why God is doing this. But Elijah says, okay, we're going to have two bulls. You're going to build an altar. We're going to offer our bulls, but we're not going to put any fire in there. We're going to let the, the answer of this whole thing about who really is God in Israel, who's the living God, 
be the one that answers by fire. The one that answers by fire, that's the true God. So Elijah says, hey, you guys go first. You're 850. You're greater than I am uh, in number. So choose your bull and do everything you need to do. And let's see if your God answers by fire. So they do. They choose their bull. They set up their altar. They do all of this. And then they start calling on their God. And then, you know, they, they call on him for, I don't know, maybe three hours or so from the morning time until the about noon time. And um, calling on him. But, but it says, but there was no voice. No one answered. So then they started leaping about, dancing all around and jumping up and down. And then at noon, you know, Elijah starts mocking them. And he says, hey, you know, he's a God. He might be, uh, he might be meditating in silence. Or he might be asleep. You might need to wake him up. Or perhaps he's just busy. Maybe he's gone out of town for a while. And that's why you can't reach him. You know, so Elijah's kind of mocking them with this. And so they cry even louder. And they, they make this big hoopla and this big uh, ordeal and screaming and cutting themselves. And beloved cutting, people that are participating in cutting, I, I, just, I just want to make this statement. That is not of the Lord. That is not healthy. It's not good. And God doesn't want that for you. And I don't know if you're in, if you may be involved in that or if you may know people that are involved in that. But I just pray that the, the Lord will get to them and reach them and let them know they don't have to do that kind of stuff. That's evil. And God doesn't want that for his people and for, for you. And so I, I just trust that God will deliver you from that, that you will call out to him and find him able to deliver you or the ones that you love from that and whom the sun sets free he is free indeed hallelujah so anyway you know they keep on and they're doing all these crazy things and they're crying out until almost three o'clock so they've spent almost the entire day and then it says but there was no voice no one answered no one paid attention there's a reason for that because they were crying out to false gods they were crying out and to dead stone and idols and and things that had no life in them there was no living being that could answer them or that could listen or pay attention so then elijah tells them he says okay come over here first thing he does he repairs the altar of the lord that's the very first thing that Elijah does here. How, how beautiful is this? And there might be an altar of the Lord in us that we need to repair and get it working again. Hallelujah. That meaning that we are, we're back to praying and we're seeking the Lord and we're taking him seriously. We're repairing his place in our home. We're, we're reestablishing that and committing to it. Then he takes 12 stones, one for each tribe, even though there were only 10 in the northern tribes, uh, 10 tribes in the northern kingdom, yet he remembered, and this was for all of them, 12 tribes, and he builds up the altar. Then he builds a trench all the way around, approximately equal to about uh, enough to hold about one and a half or one and two thirds of a gallon of water, nine quarts or so of water. So Elijah fills 12 water pots, he makes them go three times and fill four each time. And then it's, it's reminded me of the six that Jesus had filled at his first miracle in Cana. And then he takes those water pots full of water and he drenches the sacrifice 
drenches the wood and then it fills enough of it. He's poured enough of it that it pours out and fills the trenches. So he's talking about nearly three, three and a half gallons of water that have been poured out here. The whole altar and everything, including all of the wood, is soaked. It is drenched. God is setting up for a miracle here. So then at approximately 3 p.m., it says this in verse 36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Israel, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. The whole purpose of this showdown was that God wanted to turn their hearts back to him again. They had forsaken him. They had followed after all these other gods, and they had um, done abominable things, but God was still after them. He still loved them, and he still was after them turning their hearts back to you, back to him. I'm sorry. And so then in the next verse, verse 38, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Miraculous thing, fault. The fire just consumes it all, every bit of it. Now when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Beloved, I'm here to tell you today, the Lord, He is God. And He simply wants us to turn our hearts back to Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what He was after. And so notice in verse 41 and beyond after that, that God proved, He proved that, He caused the people to realize that he and he alone is God. So after this revival, after dealing with this idolatry, because they had to destroy all those prophets of Baal, um, and so God, after God does all of that, he now is going to send the rain. And it reminded me of this scripture, and I have to, I have to read this to you. Also, I believe the Lord wants me to read this scripture to you. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says this, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Beloved, this promised rain, after the idolatry was dealt with, after God had shown himself and drawn the people's hearts back to him and they had called upon him and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Now is when God will send the refreshing rain to the people. It's the same thing today, beloved. God, after revival, true, sincere revival, will bless us with the rain again. Hallelujah. So then in chapter 19, we see Jezebel, when she hears about it, oh, she gets mad. 
And she goes and she threatens Elijah and she says, hey, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do the same thing to you this very day that you did to those 850 prophets of mine. And so Elijah, now I don't know exactly why he did this. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, God even has the same question. So I don't know that he was led of the Lord to do this. Maybe he just got afraid. But he runs off. He arises and he flees for his life. He goes to Beersheba and he leaves his servant there and then he keeps on going. Um, And then God ends up, he's tired, he's exhausted from all of this that he's gone through in the last day or so. And so now um, God sends angels and they prepare food for him and water and give it to him to drink. And then he goes on and he finds the mountain of God, Horeb, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. Same mountain that Moses had, had been upon for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, now Elijah is there, 40 days and 40 nights. And he goes into this cave. And he spends the night. And the Lord comes to him and says, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he says, He says, Oh God, I've been zealous for you. I've done all the right things. And and now I'm left alone. I'm the only one. I wish I could die. You know, I've killed your uh, prophets. I've been so zealous for you. And now I alone am left. And they're seeking to take my life. And so God tells him, He says, Go out and stand by this mountain. He says, I'm going to come. And so I pass, the Lord passes by and he brings forth this great, powerful wind. Notice this. It says it's a strong wind tore into the mountains, broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And so after the wind, God sends an earthquake. The Lord's not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in that fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Beloved, God has a still, small voice when he speaks to us. He can be, and at times he might be, in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. But, beloved, don't miss his still, small voice that will speak. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. The voice of another I will not. They will not follow. So, beloved, let's pay attention to the still, small voice of the Lord. So then Elijah wraps himself in his, in his mantle and he goes back into the cave and suddenly the voice comes to him again. The Lord comes to him and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Welcome as you join in. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah tells him again, same spiel. I've been very zealous for the children, you know, for the Lord of hosts and I've not, I've, um, I've torn down your, their altars and, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I alone am left. And they're seeking to take my life. And so now the Lord tells him, he says, okay, Elijah, it's time for you to get up and go. It's time for you to do the next thing that I've called you to do. So God doesn't send him back to Ahab and Jezebel here. He sends him to to the wilderness of Damascus. He tells him to anoint Hazael, Hazael as king over Syria and to also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, who will now be replacing Ahab, who will be rising to the scene as king in Israel. But he also tells him, he says, And Elisha, the son of Shephat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So he's telling Elijah here that, Elijah, 
I'm going to continue to use you for a season, but you're going to be coming on. It's going to be passing on, and it's going to be time for somebody else to rise on the scene. And so I need you to be preparing that person to replace you. You're going to mentor him now. You're going to um, be one over him and train him and disciple him. Disciple him. You're going to call him to follow you, and then you are going to disciple him so that he will carry the work on. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus and the call that he put forth to his disciples to come and follow me. And then they worked with him. They learned from him. And then at at the appointed time, they had to then carry the work on when Jesus left the scene at that time. So Elijah goes and he finds Elisha plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen. He throws his mantle over him which was the call for him then to come and follow him, to be his disciple. And so Elijah comes and he begins to follow him. It's a beautiful picture of the call of Jesus to every one of us to follow him and become his disciple and learn from him and then follow along in his footsteps to carry the work forward. Beloved, that's still been going on for 2,000 years and that applies to you and I today. The call is the same, and then we can learn from the Lord. We have everything we need, but um, the Bible tells us for life and godliness, everything is in this book, and so we learn from it, and then we carry the work forward just like Elisha did for Elijah. Praise God. It's a beautiful pattern there, beautiful thing that we see. And then in chapter 20, we begin to get introduced to Hazelel. This king that's going to replace uh, Ahab, I mean, uh, he's going to be king in Syria, and Jehu, the one who's going to replace Ahab. And so we see war erupting between Syria and Israel. God gives them the victory. And the only thing I wanted to point out really in this passage, I certainly encourage you to read it um, because it is um, a powerful passage also. But I just want to point out this one thing. When Syria was fighting Israel here, the Syrian people thought, oh, well, you know, God God helped them because their God is the God of the hills. But, you know, we'll be stronger in the valley. We'll be stronger in the plain. Their God isn't a God of the valley, so he can't help them there. We'll, we'll survive there and we'll overcome them. And it says this um, in verse 28 of chapter 20, Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, but he's not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, the Bible tells us in this passage, in this chapter, that they looked like little two little flocks of goats, it says, while the Syrians filled the countryside. So you talk about being outnumbered. They were very, very outnumbered. But the God of the the same God who was God of the hills was also God of the valleys. And God was with them. And if God is with us, who can stand against us, the Bible says. So God gave that victory to them because his name was at stake. His name was on the line because the Syrians had said, Oh, the Lord is God of the hills, but he's not God of the valleys. I did a 
um, I believe it was either I wrote an article or I did a, a teaching an audio message at one time, and it may be on my website. You can find it there about God being the God of the valleys. Beloved, he's the God of the valleys too. And sometimes we walk through difficult times and we walk through valleys in our life, but God is still there with us. He is the God of the valleys as well. And he will bring us through everything that we have to face in life because the Lord, he is God. I just want to encourage you with that word today. I pray this has been a blessing to you as we have looked at 1 Kings chapter 18 through 20. Also, I want to direct you to the live video that I did earlier this morning uh, from 1 Kings chapter 18, and I hadn't prepared that, but God put it on my heart so heavy, and so I did um, want to share that with you and encourage you to watch that as well. It's about 17 minutes, I believe. And um, I just share from my heart the powerful word that God gave me this morning from chapter 18 of 1 Kings. God bless you today, and I hope you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites.